Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC, offering a broad range of cardiac and vascular treatments in our community. More information is available at upmc.com slash centralpaheart. Welcome to The Spark. I'm Anaya Falcon. An upcoming documentary aims to give the audience a glimpse of what life is like for people living with disabilities that use art to overcome challenges. James Hollenball, Lancaster documentary filmmaker of A Life Like This and artist in residence at Franklin and Marshall College, features three artists living with a, a mental disability and one who lives with a physical disability. James joins us to tell us about the documentary, its impact, and the stories within it. James, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thanks. Great to be here. So tell me a little bit about your documentary and what it consists of. Sure. Um, so it's a, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a mid-length documentary, around 45 minutes, and it highlights the stories of four artists from the Lancaster County area. Um, all working with disability. Um, we have three individuals, uh, Malcolm Corley, Adam Musser, and Sybil Rowe Thompson, um, all of which have uh, varying forms of autism. And I also feature David Nolt, um, who paints with his mouth. He has a physical disability, who also lives in the Lancaster area. So the documentary um, shares their stories. Uh, it also highlights the work that they're doing, how they create the work, and um, how art has become an important part of their life and, in a sense, uh, helps them overcome some disabilities and uh, certain hardships. And in a previous conversation, you mentioned that all of these artists are untrained artists, which you call outsider artists. So what does that term mean? And talk to me about the instinct these artists have to create art on a very high level. Sure. I mean, uh, when I say outsider art, it's it's sort of a term that um, it means an untrained artist, I guess, on the most basic level, uh, someone who has not had training, um, someone who... I mean, I can't. I won't say that they um, don't have, uh, are not happy to sell their work uh, or show their work, but often they're creating just because they need to create or want to create, not with the um, kind of need for financial gain or the um, opportunity to be maybe someone uh, famous in the art world or something like that. That's often not the, the goal. Um, it's just something inside of them that they, they need to create and want to create and uh, do so uh, kind of without pretension or without the um, thought of, oh, I need to make this uh, work within these specific boundaries in order to show in certain galleries or get this certain kind of attention. Uh, I feel that all four artists in this film are creating because they want to create and they're painting uh, or sculpting, et cetera, and making what they want, not because um, they think it's something that might sell uh, per se. So what are some of the misconceptions that people have of people living with disabilities? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, it, I don't I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but, uh, you know, I think often people think probably someone 
who is working with a disability might not be able to do as good a job at something as someone who's not disabled. Um, they think maybe that this work would not be as high level, like you mentioned, uh, would not be as up to par, say, as someone who is working uh, without a disability. And it's, um, you know, completely untrue. Um, I mean, you can see the work in the, in the documentary is really incredible, um, whether it's uh, more dealing with realism, like uh, David Nolt's work, or if uh, it's uh, something more kind of uh, abstract, or these self-portraits that Malcolm does, um, or, you know, Adam Musser is uh, creating uh, paintings of things that are more of uh, fantastical uh, dragons and magic and things that he's interested in. Uh, or Sybil Rowe Thompson in the film, who creates more of uh, design-oriented work or um, reproductions of architecture uh, she's seen. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the work really just kind of really stands out and holds its own, um, even though, um, you know, the artists are suffering from uh, some sort of disability. You mentioned some misconceptions that people may have about people living with disabilities. But were you aiming to debunk any of these misconceptions with the work that you did with your documentary? I can't say I was um, <clears throat> necessarily trying to debunk anything, but I did want to kind of just be a fly on the wall um, when making this uh, documentary, not trying to really manipulate the viewer, but just create something that they could get into the world of these four specific artists, see how they create, why they create, and uh, you know what the finished product looks like, but also hearing their story. Um, as to how they got to the point where they are and how the artwork has really helped them. So uh, I wasn't trying to necessarily debunk something, but I did want to showcase something that I think a lot of people uh, probably haven't seen before. So what's your connection to art and people living with disabilities? Uh, really, you know, my connection is, uh, is these sort of projects started out where I was just really a fan of art. I collect art. Um, and I started to see a lot of work by um, so-called outsider artists, not necessarily um, did, all, did all of them uh, have a disability, but I saw work that I just thought was really incredible. Uh, and then when I started to learn about the artists and that a lot of them were suffering from a disability, it became uh, the stories that really attracted me. So it, it kind of started out as the art. I, I liked the art. I collected it. I thought it was you know really great. But then the stories are what really, um, I guess, drew me in to want to create um, a, a documentary about this uh, sort of thing. And I made several short films about other outsider artists before the uh, residency at Franklin and Marshall. And this allowed me to uh, do a more long-term uh, project uh, doing this artist in residency program. And you mentioned earlier in our conversation that uh, the artists are using art to overcome their disabilities. So how, how are they doing that? Uh, you know, in a way, it's a it's a way that they can communicate. Um, some of these artists are fairly nonverbal and really use art as a way to communicate with other people and just connect with the community around them as well as individuals in their life, their friends, their family. Um, so that's really the main thing for me is it's it's a way to communicate other than speaking. Um, and it's also something that they can, you know, show that they've created, uh, that they can be proud of, but also just kind of release out into the world. It's also, um, you know, for all four artists that I highlight, it's a real passion. Artwork is a real passion for all four uh, individuals. And, um, you know, I just think that's really great and, and you know, something uh, 
something that's interesting. Yeah. As you put this uh, documentary together and you watch the process uh, that these artists have when creating their art, um, you know, I, I know in the documentary it says, quote, uh, one of the artists, caretakers said, their sense of time is different. So can you expand upon that and maybe some other differences that you noticed um, when putting this film together? Sure. I mean, uh, specifically, that was Maria Corley who uh, said that about her son, Malcolm Corley, who's one of the artists, uh, that his sense of time is different than uh, us, maybe other people. And I'll say that's, you know, maybe very specific to Malcolm, uh, that when he is creating something, he doesn't have, you know, a deadline. Uh, you know, some people might have a deadline for a, a show. They need to get the work done by a certain amount of time or uh, a commission that needs done in a certain amount of time. Malcolm uh, doesn't work well with, uh, you know, a certain uh, timeline for things. Uh, he kind of creates his own time. And um, I think it really could have to do with why his work is so detailed. He uh, almost kind of, uh, as you see in the film, sort of meditates uh, over the canvas for a while. And really, each stroke is a really deliberate uh, stroke um, towards the final project. He really, you know, pictures what he wants to do in advance, and then one stroke at a time is creating, uh, you know, often a self-portrait or a portrait of another family member. Um, so, yeah, he really puts a lot of thought into his work. Um, and it could be, you know, each artist has their own sort of unique process as to uh, how they go about it. Uh, you know, uh, Sybil uh, often goes downtown and tries to be inspired by certain things uh, in in her environment that she can go back and recreate. Um, but she also, she's someone who's every single day, you know, in her studio, um, just working on working on new things. So each one of them does have their own unique traits. Um, Adam Adam Musser also collecting different uh, materials to create, especially his sculptures. You know, he's collecting all kinds of different uh, things, whether it's you know pipe cleaners or cardboard or different uh, variety of paints uh, to put everything together. And you know, and and David has his own process as well. Uh, often he's uh, inspired by photographs that he's taken or other things he's seen in the world and wants to create and and share with others. So. They all have a yeah, pretty unique and specific process uh, to their own. James, talk to me a little bit about the technique and training that you uh, received from uh, Franklin and Marshall College and how you used that training to capture the rawness and the reality of the lives that your features, featured artists live. Sure. Um, I didn't per se really uh, you know, receive any training at Franklin and Marshall, but I did receive uh, you know, the great support of the uh, faculty and staff at the college and the uh, use of their equipment uh, and also uh, a lot of interaction with the students, uh, the film and art students particularly. Um, so, you know, that was really a, a great opportunity to be able to, to you know, go into that setting, um, to, uh, you know, network with all of the um, faculty and uh, students there and, uh, you know, also get some uh, support with using equipment, uh, an editing studio, um, an office, and things like that. And also um, just kind of brainstorming with the uh, students was really great. But it did give me the opportunity to uh, work with some of the students and uh, also learn more about disability um, and art. Um, but it was a great uh, a great residency. I'm glad they accepted my proposal. And then it gave me the opportunity to use the equipment, take it out into the field, and uh, you know, document these stories, 
And as far as the raw aspect to it, you know, I've, that's how my work has has been in the last, you know, 10 years. Um, you know, I love working with documentary, but I also have a love-hate relationship with how sometimes a documentary can really manipulate the audience in a certain way. Uh, and I didn't want to do that uh, in any way with this project. I wanted uh, everything to be, like I said before, kind of a fly on the wall um, in the lives of four uh, specific artists. David, you are one of the artists featured in A Life Like This. So tell me a little bit about where your journey with art started. Uh, When I was two years old, my sister and I were on the floor. She was coloring in a coloring book, or I'm not even sure what it was. I think it was some kind of coloring book. And uh, I was just laying there watching her, and I just reached over. I guess it was on my stomach. I don't know. I was just laying there. And I picked up a crayon or a marker, whatever it was that she was using, and uh, I started scribbling right on the linoleum. And uh, yeah, I guess that's not exactly a canvas, so uh, <laughs> we had to make some changes pretty quickly. But that's the first that we discovered that there's something you know that this mouth can do, I guess. And Besides talk. Yeah, and you mentioned that there's something that this mouth can do. What did you mean by that? What what methods and uh, materials did you use to create art? Uh, I started out first with pen and ink or watercolor. I tried those when I was younger. I did some calligraphy. I did, you know, um, various fancy letters and stuff that I was inspired by, the the family Bible that we had there. Uh, one of our descendants would have been the one that would have written in there, and I was kind of inspired by all that. And so art is kind of in our family already, you know, down the, in, from, you know, distant. Anyway, um, so that's kind of where it all started. And from there, I went from uh, watercolors, I tried acrylic, and eventually I got to oils, and that's when I discovered this is really the best thing that I, the best medium that I enjoy. Yeah, and you said you create art with with your mouth. I do, yes. Why is that? Because of the, uh, it's called arthrograd poses. It's a very rare disease that I have. Uh, Doctors don't really know much about it. It's something that they don't study much about. You can ask a doctor and they'll be like, oh yeah, I think I studied about that a little bit somewhere, but it's not like cancer or something that's, you know, irregular known thing. So in the documentary, there is footage of you operating a tractor by using everything other than your hands, and it's absolutely remarkable. Uh, That's just an example of one of the pretty complex things that you can do as a person living uh, with your disability. But what are some other tasks that uh, you've taught yourself to do uh, that help you out on a daily basis? Well, I can drive a car. Um, there's a steering wheel on the floor that I latch my left foot into. I can drive like that. Um, I have done a lawn mower. I own some farms there in Lancaster County that I do all the mowing and stuff around there. It's, it's a zero-turn mower that I turn into a robot. Uh, I do wow. electronic. Uh, I do some electronics there. I, I play with uh, computer programming a little bit, and I basically made a robot out of it. And uh, yeah, so I did that. Remarkable. So what are some of the challenges or obstacles that you uh, have to pay, to face um, as a person living with arthrogryposis? Uh, um, well, 
my world is very different than I guess most people's in a way where everything I own I have to modify so I can use it you know I I like my I just bought a new truck because my old one was getting old and instead of just jumping in the truck and taking it out for a test drive I had to first of all build a steering for it so I can actually take it out so I would say patience is a big one in my life um, everything I own I have to change or um, everything that I that I do I have to rethink how to do it you know, like getting into that tractor that you were talking about. Most people would just jump right over the top and they're in in two seconds. Well, for me, I had to make steps. I had to figure out how to get into it. And in school, you used your mouth to write um, and you created art with your mouth since a very young age. So what kind of uh, reaction did you receive from the outside world uh, when they, they witnessed this? Uh, they were amazed. They were um you know, just amazed that this is happening, if you will, or I still have some groups that come in and watch me paint and things like that. And a lot of people come in and they're like, wow, you know, I like the colors or I like this or I like that. And then I tell them, well, I teach class, you know, you can come. And then they're like, well, I don't want to even show you my work. And I'm like, I had to start somewhere too. I don't care. It's fine. You know, just show me your work and I can help you. You know, it's not like it's something that it's it's okay. You have to start somewhere. Yeah. And talk to me a little bit about the stories that you tell and the different types of pieces that you create. Um yeah, did did we put yeah, we put the uh the Statue of Liberty on there. Yeah, we do have the Statue of Liberty yes. there. Um the the special the one there with the Statue of Liberty that's on the show was about the 9/11. It's actually titled 9/11. It's a picture of the uh, Statue of Liberty. And in the eyes, you see the two towers that were burning. And it was actually for a show, for the 9-11 show. Mm -hmm. I think it was a couple years later they had an, an art exhibit about art concerning that uh, event. And I missed it by a couple days. And so I never got it up there to New York City where I was planning on showing it. So now we're having it here at this show. Yeah. And you mentioned to me previously that you didn't have to worry about the challenges of finding a job as a person living with your disability because art became your bread and butter. How so? Um, my brother used to live in South Dakota. He was a cowboy. And um, he met this man. His name was uh, Jack Reich. And he worked for the Mouth and Foot Painting Artists Association, which is a, an, a collaborative of artists all over the world that uh, work together. There's, I think, over 600 artists right now working for them. And um, we we support like each other together. And uh, we do all kinds of publishing work and things. And I work for this association. And they use my artwork throughout many countries throughout the world to produce all kinds of things like, you know, cards, calendars, gift wrap. It can be all kinds of things. Yeah. So talk to me. I know you have a very positive perspective, and I could I can see that from our conversation here. Talk to me a little bit about how you are able to have that uh, with the challenges that you face, and also how art helps you to overcome some of those challenges. Well, it's yeah. In my world, you have to 
push your way through, if you will. If you don't, if you don't have a positive attitude, you won't get a painting done. You know, a, a painting like I, the, the style of the process that I do is more what they would call the old master style. And you do a couple coats of paint. So I will sit at a painting sometimes for a whole month. Some people would lose patience with that, you know. And it's okay. It's not a right or wrong way to paint. It's just that's the style that I use. So, Well, James, I want to ask you, I know there uh, is a film screening coming up that's taking place this month, and there is also an exhibition that's taking place. So tell us a little bit about that and how people can get more information in just 30 seconds. Sure. Um, well, the exhibition is at Franklin and Marshall's campus uh, in the Winter Visual Arts Center. Uh, it's open 10 to 4, Monday through Friday. It's open now until the end of the month, the final um, the final day is the 31st. Uh, this Friday, we have an opening reception uh, from 5 to 7.30. It's a drop-in. And on the 31st of March, there will be a more formal screening in the cinema on campus, along with uh, several of my other short films. So, yeah, lots of opportunities to check out the exhibition. Well, it's been amazing speaking with both of you today. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and talking about the documentary. We've been speaking with James Hollenball, Lancaster documentary filmmaker of A Life Like This, an artist in residence at Franklin and Marshall College, and David Nault, who is an artist featured in the A Life Like This film. You're listening to The Spark on WITF, your home for NPR and discovering all things local. I'm Anaya Falcon.